Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, we dive into the state of Alabama's auto industry with Dev Wakely from Alabama Arise. We also take a look at some statements by a Louisiana sheriff that are going viral again uh, that have uh, that are sort of instructive for our politics here in Alabama. We've got lots of updates from Southern Labor, all that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can give us a call at 844-899-8857. That is 844-899-TVLR. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week. Um, we can we can no longer accept texts at that number. The service that we were using discontinued their texting service. So uh, that's a big old bummer. But you can still give us a call and leave us a voicemail, 844-899-TVLR. Um, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. We have a website, tvlr.fm, where you can find our written content as well as navigate to our merch store and donation portal. All of it uh, powered by a union-designed website, unionized payment processing service, and a unionized web store. Uh, if you want to go directly to our donation portal, you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate to make a one-time or recurring donation. You can go to tvlr.fm slash store to buy our merch. We have some great shirts that are available. And uh, you can find us, obviously, on all the social media places. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. All at The Valley Labor Report. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash The Valley Labor Report if you are more comfortable with that. Uh, um... Uh, with that service. Um, if you're a member of a union, then please do think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Uh, you can reach out to us for more details on that. We could not do the program without our union sponsors. Hey, y'all, let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. And as most of you know, we are not media professionals, just some diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. 
We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, and we could not do it without you. We want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan or first-time listener. We really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. With that being said, we're going to jump right into last week in Southern Labor. We've got a two-week roundup since last year we did a sort of year-in-review for Southern Labor. Um, So this is uh, what workers in the U.S. South and the American colonies were up to from January 5th to the 19th. Uh, Lots of new campaigns. Workers at Mercedes in Tuscaloosa announced that they reached 30% card signed with the UAW and have gone public with their union campaign. They've continued to stay loud, responding to Governor Ivey's attacks on them, writing an article and making a video about how they are organizing. Uh, That uh, video can be found on Twitter, on the UAW's page, and the article can be found at labornotes.org. Workers at Hyundai in Montgomery, Alabama, held a forum about unionization with the UAW. That is their first foray into the public with their campaign. Workers likely pushed by their employer filed a petition to decertify the Automotive, Petroleum, and Allied Industries Employees Local 618 as the union representing the four workers at Gray's Auto Service in Richmond Heights, Missouri, with the help of the National Right to Work Freaks. Two workers at United Rentals in O'Fallon, Missouri, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Teamsters, Local 600. 111 workers at Mary's Center, a medical center in Washington, D.C., filed a petition to hold a union election with 1199 SEIU, United Healthcare Workers East. 30 workers from at From the Earth, Dispensary in Raytown, Missouri, filed a petition to hold a union election with United Food and Commercial Workers, UFCW, Local 2. Eight workers at R.J. Stab Stone Company in Florida, in uh, Newberry, Florida, filed a petition to hold a union election with the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers, IUBAC, Local 8. Seven workers at Wells Fargo in Virginia Beach, Virginia, filed a petition to hold a union election with Wells Fargo Workers United, an affiliate of the Communication Workers of America, CWA. The employer filed a petition for a union election after a majority of the 50 workers at CQ Roll Call demonstrated support for a unionization with the Washington Baltimore News Guild, Local 32035. Ten workers at MDV Spartan Nash, a wholesale distributor for U.S. Army commissaries in Norfolk, Virginia, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Teamsters, Local 822. Twenty workers at Starbucks in New Orleans, Louisiana, filed a petition to hold a union election with Starbucks Workers United. Seventeen workers at New Era Incorporated's manufacturing facility in Clarksville, Tennessee, New Era is a cookware company, filed a petition to hold a union election with the United Steelworkers, USW. 44 workers at OXDIALLC Dispensary in Kansas City, Missouri, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Teamsters Local 955. 20 security guards at Christus Health in Beaumont, Texas, filed a petition to hold a union election with the United Federation of Law Enforcement Officers Security and Police Benevolent Association. Four workers at the American Red Cross in Douglasville, Georgia, filed a petition to hold a union election with USW Local 254. Twelve workers at All Points Logistics in North Merritt Island, Florida, filed a petition to hold a union election with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW Local 2088. And six workers at Lidos Incorporated, an IT company in the same city, North Merritt Island, Florida, filed a petition to hold a union election with IBEW Local 2088. 
Three workers at Valero Refining Company in Memphis, Tennessee, filed a petition to hold a union election with the USW. And 14 workers at Graves Minimaker Foods Transportation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, filed a petition to hold a union election with the Teamsters Local 886. The employer filed for a union election after a majority of the 27 workers at Panel Systems in Woodbridge, Virginia, demonstrated support for unionization with the Construction and Master Laborers Local 11, which is is an affiliate of the Labor's International Union of North America, LIUNA. 30 workers at Giant Resource Recovery in Harleyville, South Carolina, filed a petition to hold a union election with USW. And the employer filed for a union election after a majority of the 83 workers at Glancy Surface Mining in Wharton, West Virginia, demonstrated support for unionization with the United Mine Workers of America, UMWA, Local 1503. We had one campaign update. According to Sean Fain's recent live stream, Volkswagen workers in Chattanooga have hit 50% card signed. With the UAW, they are having a rally this weekend. In election results, after filing a petition to hold a union election with the National Labor Union during this period, the eight workers at the Joint Employers of Wiener King of Cumberland County doing business as Wiener Works and Express Employment Professionals withdrew their petition for a union election. And a pretty strange case here, a bargaining unit of one employee filed a petition to decertify the International Union of Operating Engineers, IUOE Local 465, as the union representing this person at Cargill in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And then this person, after presumably changing their mind, withdrew that request to decertify the union, uh, to hold a decertification election. So strange, uh, strange case there. The petition to decertify Workers United as the union representing the 12 workers at Advantis Corporation in Petersburg, Virginia, was withdrawn. The union remains. The petition to hold a union election with CWA Meow Wolf and Artist Collective in Grapevine, Texas, was withdrawn, as was the petition to hold a union election with UFCW Local 655 at CBD Kratom in St. Louis, Missouri. The petition to hold a union election with CWA at Lake Michigan Credit Union in Bonita Springs, Florida, was withdrawn. 18 workers at Starbucks in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, voted in favor of unionization with Starbucks Workers United 10 to 4. 11 workers at Wolf Creek Federal Services in Huntsville, Alabama, the pipe fitters and sheet metal workers, voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the Plumbers and Steam Fitters Union, UA Local 760. 16 workers at Wolf Creek Federal Services in Huntsville, Alabama, this time the electricians and carpenters also voted in favor of unionization, this time with the IBEW Local 558. 70 workers at Odgefell Terminals, Houston, in Seabrook, Texas, voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the Teamsters Local 175. 17 workers at Darling Ingredients in Grapeland, Texas, voted 11 to 5 in favor of unionization with the Teamsters Local 745. Three workers at Alliance Mobile, an AT&T subsidiary in Bristol, Virginia, voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the CWA, as did three workers at another location in Kingsport, Tennessee. 55 workers at Evonik Corporation in Little Rock, Arkansas, voted 14 to 33 against unionization with the U.S. Three workers at the uh, 
Harris County Democratic Party voted one to two against unionization with the United Professional Organizers to 226 workers at Ascension Seton Medical Center, Austin, in Austin, Texas, voted 120 to five in favor of unionization with the National Nurses United. Three workers at Amentum Services in Springfield, Virginia, voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the IUE Local 99. 75 workers at Bimbo Services, a bakery in Valdesta, Georgia, voted against unionization with the UFCW Local 1996, and five security guards at Paragon Systems in Atlanta, Georgia, voted unanimously in favor of unionization with the United Federation of Law Enforcement Officers, Security, and and Police Benevolent Association, and rounding up election results, 25 security guards at KR Contracting in Vienna, Virginia, voted 2-0 to in favor of unionization with the National Capital Union for Security Officers. Um, looks like I got two filings mixed up and 70 workers at Oddsfeld Terminals in uh, Houston and Seabrook, Texas voted against unionization with USC, uh, USW Local 1327 and six workers at Top Drilling Corporation in Yaki, West Virginia voted unanimously in favor of unionization with Teamsters Local 175. Sorry about that mix up. Uh... Some strikes and bargaining updates. Passenger service workers at American Airlines, jointly represented by the CWA IBT Association, that's the Communication Workers of America and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, have voted by a three to one margin to ratify a groundbreaking, uh, according to the union, five year agreement that includes an average 20% raise immediately on ratification. Richmond City, Virginia workers who recently unionized with the Service Employees International Union Local 512 reached a tentative agreement and later ratified it. This is their first ever contract. The contract includes an 11% pay increase over the three-year term term and implements a wide range of benefits typical in many union contracts like just cause discipline, time and a half for overtime, and 17 paid holidays. Newly unionized Teamsters at DHL in Kentucky ratified a contract by 98% after a 12-day strike by 1,100 members. The contract includes an immediate $2 an hour raise with a total of $5 an hour raise over the three-year contract. It also doubles the company's 401k contributions, establishes a worker safety committee and requires DHL to pay all health care premiums. In politics and legislation, President Joe Biden visited the state of North Carolina last week and was greeted with a rebuke from UE Local 150 President Sakia Royale with her saying, Bidenomics is money to corporations to create low-wage, non-union jobs while prioritizing money for war, including $105 billion to make weapons for Israel and Ukraine. We need money for workers' needs, not war and corporate profits. UE Local 150 represents public service workers in North Carolina state and municipal government. Alabama's Republican House Speaker alluded to the potential for Medicaid expansion as long as it is with a, quote, privatized approach, unquote, with positive comments about Arkansas's Medicaid expansion, which diverts federal dollars to subsidize private insurance instead of actually expanding Medicaid. The Communication Workers of America, CWA, are urging the passage of the Affordable Connectivity Program Extension Act in Congress to continue the expansion of high-speed internet to the 22 million families being helped by the program now. The Department of Labor announced a final rule aimed at ending worker misclassification 
And we had a couple of internal union affairs updates. A group of minor league football players have officially launched a decertification petition to oust the United Steelworkers as their union. Uh, representing the players at the uh, newly merged United States Football League and XFL. The decertification drive for the rural carriers failed to gain enough signatures during the allotted time, so that threat is over, but discontent among the rank and file remains. This could be an opportunity for leadership to change course were they so inclined. That's going to wrap it up for last week in Southern Labor. We are going to take a break, and we're going to be right back with Alabama Arises worker policy advocate Dev Wakely to talk about his recent report about Alabama's auto industry. Benefit Architects has proudly supported union members and union-made products for over 35 years. If you are a federal employee and an AFGE member, you're eligible for hundreds of dollars in money-saving benefits, including group life insurance, dental insurance, and AFLAC insurance. Additionally, if you're a union member but don't work for the federal government, you can still qualify for several of these money-saving policies. So give Tate Cure a call at 256-215-6769 for details and to enroll. Again, that is Tate Hewer at 256-215-6769. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? 
If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. The name with proven results. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with Adam Keller. Uh, Appreciate everybody tuning in. We've got 25 people watching us on YouTube right now and only 11 likes on the stream. Let's get those numbers up, folks. Like the stream if you haven't. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't. And um, appreciate everybody last week who uh, listens to us on Spotify giving us a five-star rating on the app. We now officially have more five-star ratings than several other large podcasts, including uh, The Dale Jackson Show, including America's Workforce, including the Alabama Political Reporters podcast, Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, So now we've got to set our sights on Apple Podcasts. So, uh, folks, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, then please... Uh, give us a five-star rating. Take like two seconds. I know that there's a bunch of y'all that listen to us on Apple Podcasts, but for some reason, the uh, the percentage of people who are rating us on podcasts is not as high on, on Apple is not as high as it is on Spotify. So uh, if you're listening to this right now on Apple, take two seconds, give us a five-star rating, please, and thank you. Um, appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. Um, Infinite content. Uh, good to see you. Uh, glad you're feeling a little bit better after your um, uh, after your grandmother's passing. Um, Adam S. Good morning. Left his best. Good morning. Um, and uh, yeah, the weather is terrible here. The weather is awful, but nevertheless, we uh, uh, we trudge onward. And uh, right now we have Dev Wakely 
on the line uh, from Alabama Arise. He is the worker policy advocate, and he recently uh, authored a report on the state of Alabama's, Alabama's auto industry. Dev, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Glad to have you back. So can you talk to us about the impetus for this report? What was it that made you want to survey, you know, the state of Alabama's auto industry at this time? Well, the industry has been really present in the state for around 30 years in some respect. The, the plants haven't been up and running quite that long, but the deals to ink the the massive corporate subsidies to lure the industry here uh, were put in place about 30 years ago. So we thought it'd be time to do a, a good sort of look back to see whether the promises of the industry really came to fruition or not. Mm. Um and yeah, and particularly well, right now, because, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry, go particularly ahead. right, yeah, particularly right now, uh, we with auto with auto manufacturing is a major part of industry in the state, and with the state of auto manufacturing nationally being in a a real flux period, where some some real clawbacks and advantages can be gained for the workers, uh, it makes perfect sense to be looking at it in the state right now. I think so. Um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Can you tell us? Uh, you know, you mentioned that there's been a lot of subsidies. What is the scale of, of subsidies that, that that's going to these companies from uh, Alabama's uh, public coffers? I think the best way to describe it would be jaw dropping. One point six billion dollars in public funds have been used to lure these companies here. And one of the things that we found when researching this is that a lot of public dollars aren't really efficiently used. The better mm. way to use public money to make industry want to be present in a state is to build out an economic infrastructure with a stable, high-wage, uh, educated workforce base, not to just give them gobs of cash, which is what the state's decision has been largely. And, you know, so when a lot of times when people make purchases, there are strings attached. There are warranties. There are, you know, um, if if I give you, you know, this money as an individual buying a product or service, and for some reason, uh, by your own fault, the good or service does not meet expect the expectations that you set for me, um, then... I have recourse to get my money back, right? So presumably, you know, Alabama being so, you know, controlled uh, for, you know, the last hundred years by quote unquote small government people, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, it's always been small government types, conservative types. Um, you know, presumably Alabama was, uh, uh, you know, we put in really good uh, checks and balances when we gave this, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to these corporations because this is the public's money and we've got to treat it with care. We've got to be very judicious with how we expend this money. So obviously Alabama has some strings attached to this money, right? Oh, those strings are are gossamer strands, man. The the accountability mechanisms for the for those massive checks that the state basically wrote to these companies are are practically non-existent. Uh, very few companies deal with any sort of consequence for failing to meet, and and the ones that do do so via their own reporting. There's practically no monitoring. 
There are practically no meaningful wage standards. Um, this is free money to the companies that don't really have to make good on any promises they make about wage quality, about job quality, about economic impact. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, that lack of strings, which, again, is, is just very strange since, you know, we're always told that that uh, uh, the reason that we have to rein in public spending on services like Medicare and Social Security is because, you know, we got to be responsible with our money. And so it's just it's strange to me that these same people are just giving money for free uh, without any strings attached to corporations. Uh, there might be something instructive there for the listener. Um so the, that lack of strings has really led to you, you found really led to a deterioration of of the this industry um, in in certain very meaningful respects over the last thirty years. Can you explain that for us? Sure, I'll lead with a big one. Uh, Alabama workers get much less pay for doing the exact same work as is done in other states, um, and that's because there's no wage standard. Uh, that matches the the national prevailing wage for auto manufacturing jobs and in, in these incentive agreements agreements. And that's that's huge. And we're talking about states that have similar costs of living to Alabama too. I mean, if you look at the Michigan standards, um, it costs almost the exact same to live in Michigan as it does in Alabama. Uh, groceries are pretty much the same price and they don't have a grocery tax. Gas prices are mm -hmm. fairly similar. It costs ever so slightly less to buy a house in the Detroit MSA than it does in the Birmingham MSA. Wow. So it it costs the exact same amount to live in most of Michigan as it does in Alabama. But Alabama auto workers get about $15,000 less a year mm -hmm. to do the exact same work with the exact same codes. Um, it's, it's indefensible, and all it does is make Alabama workers less economically stable and less able to to stand on their own feet. It's just just further exploitation. That's the only way to describe it. And you know that has that's always been the case. And in fact, that's that's been a part of the pitch. You know, there's there 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 were a few different sides to this pitch that Alabama politicians and and uh, you know public leaders were making to these companies. And one was, we're going to give you all this free money, no strings attached at all. We, you can just have it if you come here. Um, and then the second one was that uh, uh, the workers here are more docile, easily exploitable. You can pay them less. You can treat them worse. You know, that's always been the arrangement. Right. Um, but it, your report actually stunningly um, laid out how Alabama workers today are worse off. Alabama auto workers today are worse off than Alabama auto workers 20 years ago. Can you talk to us about that, that uh, progression or regression in this case? Sure. One of the things that we saw that was really, really stark was a sort of regression to the mean. Now, these jobs were sold to the public as, as being higher quality manufacturing jobs. Uh, but that's becoming less and less true over time. So the real wages in the auto sector have been declining uh, pretty precipitously over the last 20 years to the point where we're seeing kind of a regression to the mean um, to, to almost the overall manufacturing wage of the state. While the overall manufacturing wage has, has risen somewhat, the auto industry manufacturing wage has has basically cratered, really. 
So what was the, uh, uh, give us those numbers. What was the average manufacturing wage back in the early 2000s? And what was the average auto manufacturing wage in the early 2000s? And, and what was it uh, for the, the latest data that you have in your report? Oh, let's see here. Let me pull it up just to make sure I'm quoting correctly here. Um, well, first off, let me give you the, let me give you the differential wages across the state. Uh, the Michigan the Michigan standard auto industry wage is uh, the, the median is eighty thousand five hundred dollars, and the Alabama in twenty nineteen was sixty four thousand six hundred, mm. so fifteen grand less um, for, for the exact same living. And let's see here. And while, while you're looking that up, it, it's worth noting that $65,000 is the, the total, uh, uh, you know, average salary, not for a 40 hour work week, but for just how much, you know, that's just how much they got hours of work irrespective. Right. So, you know, a lot of these right. people, $65,000, that sounds like a reasonable amount of money if all you're working is 40 hours a week. But by and large, that is not the case in Alabama's auto industry. And from talking to the people that I have in the auto industry, and, and you know, this is reflected also in your report, that has become much the same with the wages. The wages have been falling since the early 2000s while the hours worked have been increasing since the early 2000s. I spoke to some Mercedes workers last week and they said that, you know, when they started working there 20 years ago, a lot of these people who were at the center of the UAW campaign at Mercedes, they said that, that you know, by and large, it was like a normal work week. It was for, They worked 40 hours and they went home. Sometimes they worked a little more, uh, but by and large, it was 40 hours. And today, the expectation, especially of new hires, is sometimes six twelfths. <laughs> which is bonkers Gee. right and so then the and so that's who we're looking at this population of people who are sometimes in many instances working 612s making $65,000 a year and that's a pittance when you're talking about 70 hours 80 hours a week instead of 40 yeah um and, and you're spot on about the massive amounts of overtime to 2019 specifically too was a uh, was a period where just mandatory overtime was shot through um, the sector of the state, and the one of the things that that struck me about the interviews I conducted with with folks uh, working uh, primarily at Mercedes at this point was the lack of notice they get. Mm. Um, they would they would often often be told that they had to come in the next day. Uh, it really wrecked a lot of people's outside of work lives, um, and and it made it impossible to actually plan your own life around what you might be forced to do um, on very short notice right that was a a, co a common refrain the, the the lack of scheduling notice and lack of worker input into that was a a major issue for pretty much everyone to talk to Right. One of the animating factors uh, uh, for uh, one person at least that I talked to at Mercedes, was that they've got this uh, this company handbook? You know, the, this is the this is the rules that the company has set for itself, and you know, uh, um, and and so one of those rules is um, we're not going to make you work mandatory Saturday if we don't tell you before Thursday, right? So you can't be told on Friday as you're leaving. Oh, by the way, you have to come in tomorrow, supposedly. Um, and you know, if, if you're kind of catching the tone of my voice, uh, you will have guessed that, uh, they break that rule in their policy handbook. Um, and so when that rule was broken, one of these times, uh, there was a group of workers that went to HR and said, you know, they pointed to the book 
said, look, look right here. You said you're not going to do this to me. And you're asking me to come in tomorrow. And I didn't have the notice that you said you were going to give me. And so then HR pointed to this other part of the book that says these rules are subject to change at any time for any reason by management. Right. So they're, it's meaningless. It's totally meaningless. Um, these handbooks. And, and like you said, it, 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 without notice, without reason, without provocation, any of it can change for better or for worse. And in most cases for worse. Yeah, that, it's, it is a lot of for worse. Uh, and, and that includes some disciplinary procedures, too. Um, recently, I was talking to the folks at Mercedes about the the new hires and the way that, you know, me, if you're conspiratorially minded, uh, it looks like they see some significant work organizing, organizing coming down the pipeline and want the chance to uh, remove any worker guardrails or safeguards uh, for worker input into, into disciplinary procedures early on. So if they see somebody who's a pro-union, they can just get them out in a hurry. Right. Um, and I think that that's a pretty good way of looking at it. I think that Eliminating disciplinary procedures for, for people that, that were longstanding too, mm. for folks who were in their first six months of the of the uh, hiring process and onboarding, um, looks just like a, a management power grip. Right. And so those uh, uh, the numbers from two thousand two to two thousand five. I, I can't remember them off the top of my head. The the the, the specific the specific wages, but the uh, uh, the delta was 11% in your report, right? Alabama auto workers in 2019 compared to Alabama auto workers in 2002 make 11% less. Almost $8,000 lower uh, in in, in real wages. So 7,700 and some change um, less over the course of a year. It's brutal. That, That is a brutal figure. There's no other way to describe it. And it's not the way to it's it's caused a, a long term shift in the way that a lot of the workers in the sector view uh, employment. Mm. So I was talking with some of the the guys who've been at, at these plants for oh, 20 years or so. Mm. And, well, they're, they're folks who were offered multiple buyout opportunities because the companies decided that they wanted a, a newer, uh, a younger workforce. Right. And the young folks come in and they don't view uh a job at Mercedes or a job at Hyundai or a job at Honda or Toyota as a career anymore. Uh, It is a place for a couple of years to stop off because you can't build a life on it anymore. Mm. Uh, You could could build economic stability at the wages that were offered in, say, 2002, 2005, and you flat out can't do it anymore. And it's a a real – I mean, it's a rational decision on the part of the workforce – if you're not if you're not at a place where you're going to be able to buy a house or to raise a family or to even pay for your basic needs, uh, yeah, why would well, you say and, that? And it's it, it's worth, you know, uh, uh, explaining to people that when you say the average auto worker in, you know, 2019 makes sixty five thousand dollars. Well, obviously, that means 50 percent of auto workers are making less than that. But the numbers would be even more dire for new auto workers because since 2002 there have uh the the uh, you know there's been a proliferation of multi-tier 
uh, compensation packages. And so you've got at Mercedes, they actually just implemented two tier back in 2020. So your report wouldn't even capture kind of the damage that that what uh, what Mercedes is, is doing. Um but so they have a they have a second tier of permanent employee employment now that began in 2020 at Mercedes and it's a full 20% lower and and the the top out is 20% lower and right so for these second tier of employees there is no hope of ever getting to the first tier it's like if you came in after 2020 then the top out pay that you have is a full 20% less than people who were hired in 2019. And obviously that's going to cause some amount of consternation between the workforce. But then on top of that, you've got, you know, in, in other places you have multiple tiers you know, uh, of permanent employment. And then you have temporary employment, which your report points out can be as much as 50% as much as what permanent employees make, right? So if you're going into the auto industry today, right now, you're not making $65,000 a year. You're just not. That's not in the cards for you. Um, I live down in Baldwin County, and there are workers doing auto manufacturing in multiple sectors of employment in this state who are making less per hour than fast food restaurants pay here mm. it's it, it, it is brutal it is not the way it, it there is no way you can build a life on that on that amount of money and your report doesn't touch on this but it is worth mentioning that you know we talked about the uh lawsuit that that former inmates and uh, civil rights groups and labor unions are bringing against the Alabama Department of Corrections for uh, basically a modern day convict leasing system. And uh, auto industries were some of the uh, uh, alleged to be some of the top recipients of the of, of convicts <laughs> by by this leasing program, as well as we have seen multiple instances of child labor at these auto industries that, again, we are paying hundreds of millions of dollars to be here. Um, the last thing that I want I, I'd like to for you to I expand on from your report is the safety issues. What uh, you know, wh what can an auto worker expect uh by way of safety when they go work for one of these companies? Um, what you can expect is for that line to never stop. And that includes folks getting pinned to machines. Uh, it doesn't stop for that. Uh, it doesn't stop when somebody gets a hand stuck in a machine. And that happens. And it doesn't stop when people die on the line either. So if you if you look at how these companies really value the people who are doing the work, um, and people they they say they they value. Uh, you see how they treat folks, and you can understand that that's just simply not the case. Multiple people have died on the line at Hyundai, according according to their workers, and the line never stopped. Um, there was an attempt to one of the interviews I, I had with a guy at Mercedes uh, talked about a guy getting getting pinned to a machine, getting his hand crushed, and they wanted to pull him out before medical got there they wanted to pull his hand out so that they could get production started again um without any consideration of the medical reality the fact that this guy might have a crushed artery or, or something that would cause him to bleed out online mm. the only the only concern was getting things running and getting that production quota um no matter what and that includes the health and lives of the the workers who are actually doing it
in, in the no matter what. Right. What and is the, well, uh, the? I'll tell you. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, I, I will tell you that the, the the way to prevent that, the the way to ensure that is is to organize, and I think the workers see that now. Right. The, you know, we we hear a lot about what the state of Al about Alabama values and Alabama solutions. Well, mm -hmm. unionization looks like to me an Alabama solution. Um, it's always been an Alabama value. My great grandfather was a steel worker. My grandfather, my father was a carpenter. I'm CWA, and the the reality is that if you're talking about actual Alabamians, people who do work instead of people who take in massive checks uh, for, for doing nothing, then unionization is an Alabama value. Alabama, Alabama had a higher, has actually even now, a higher private sector unionization rate than most of our Southern neighbors. And to, to say that unionization is something that we should keep out is not in keeping with Alabama history. And it certainly doesn't value Alabama workers. That's absolutely correct. What are the um, what are some of the safety numbers uh, uh, in Alabama's auto manufacturing sector compared to uh, you know compared to the country at large, and then to some uh, you know uh, some specific areas of the country like Michigan, where unions have uh, an even high uh, an, an even stronger hold on the auto industry uh, than in the nation uh, as a whole. I'm going to totally dodge that question. I'm going to point something else out to you All right. that the workers themselves say they are disincentivized from reporting injuries. Mm. So when you see auto numbers, auto industry numbers in the state of Alabama that look only a little bit worse than they do in Michigan, that's not the full story because workers mm. are actively dissuaded from filing injuries or from filing their injury reports for, for a number of reasons. Um, if, if you're talking about reassignment away from a more lucrative position to a, to a, to a worse role, that happens. If you're talking about folks who claim workman's comp, rightfully so, who are forced to come in there to the office during their recovery period while they're injured and, and just spend all day in a, in a different like filing role, that happens too. Hmm. The companies make every effort to avoid simply treating injuries for their workers and responding to the safety concerns, uh, which is, again, uh, as we pointed out, another impetus toward unionization because unions provide better safety results and the numbers are, are stark about that. Right. And their ability to do that is a result of, you know, the, the low unionization rate in the auto industry right now in Alabama. And it's also a, uh, a the result of a lack of uh, safety enforcement in the state of Alabama. Alabama has no state safety law for the private or public sector. Uh, and so that leaves the only safety inspectors uh, to be the ones from the federal government. And so uh, that, that leads to, you know, this ability to get away with the lack of reporting. You know, Alabama's, Alabama has a lower than national average injury rate across sectors, right? Across Not just the auto industry, but across sectors, our reported injury rate is lower than the national average. And yet, our reported death on the job rate is literally the fourth highest in the nation, right? And so, you know, unless you were literally born yesterday, you understand that what that means is that there's a lot of stuff that's being unreported and and your interviews with uh you know with auto industry workers track with the data that we have uh and and the the gaps in the data that we have for Alabama 
Um, and so I just I just wanted to point out uh, uh, some of these numbers for the com- uh, uh, in the comparisons to other uh, states on the safety issues. You said in, in the report by 2015, the chances of losing a finger or a limb in an Alabama parts factory was double the amputation risk nationally for the industry, 65 percent higher than in Michigan and 33 percent higher than in uh, than in Ohio. So, you know, I mean, this is uh, just really, really, uh, you know, uh, super unsafe. <laughs> and and the obvious response to that uh, for the workers is to uh, is to organize because the government's not coming to save you. In fact, the government is is, you know, is attacking you. Um, so, Dev, uh, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that you point out in this report um, before we let you go? In the reports? Yes, in the no. report or or just generally comments on the Alabama auto industry. Absolutely, I definitely want to. I, I want to talk about some of the some of the rallies that we've seen recently in the uh, the, the mood of the workers. Um, and and that is the the reality on the ground is that workers know now uh, after a, a long period of egregious corporate abuses that the the way to proceed is to unionize if they want a better life. And that has that reality has kind of differed a little bit than what we saw even as recently as a few years ago. Um, the the UAW campaign success nationally has translated to the state in terms of organizing, and you see a state power structure that realizes that that's happening, and that's why you're seeing the response you're seeing at the state government level. Uh, they're scared of worker power building in ways that haven't been realized for the past 30, 40, 50 years. Right. And, and frankly, in, in the state of Alabama, um, I, I, I feel comfortable saying that, that there is a broad cross-sector public understanding that the workers in the state have been getting a raw deal mm. forever. And that's looking more and more like the, the power brokers and, and the corporate power structure of the state is is going to have to make significant uh earth life-changing concessions on behalf of the workers right dev wakely uh worker policy advocate with alabama arise thank you for your time i appreciate it thanks thanks for having me always glad to be here absolutely um so we're going to stay on the theme of the Alabama auto industry for another uh, little bit and talk to you about, or, or the auto industry in general, and talk to you about some of the updates uh, that I alluded to in last week in Southern Labor. Um, for one, we've got the huge update that Volkswagen workers have hit 50% card signed in Chattanooga. This is a very big deal. And this is, and, and now they legally have the option to go to management and request voluntary recognition and then file for a union election. And then if uh, during the union election, the employer is found to have violated labor law, uh, then then uh, that would make way for a bargaining order by the NLRB under the new CMAX ruling. Uh, but that's not what the UAW is saying that their uh, plan is. What they're going to do is ask for voluntary recognition after they hit 70% of cards signed. So uh, they are well on their way to getting that done. And so they are holding a rally this weekend in Chattanooga um, uh, to talk about, um, uh, you know, uh, to support the unionization effort. And this is just very, very big news. Um, in The Guardian, 
there was a uh, recent article by Michael Sonato about the Volkswagen's auto push. And like we just finished talking about with Dev, a big part of the reason that, you know, th- there are obviously a multitude of reasons, right, that auto workers right now are, are, are gung-ho about the prospects of organizing. But a big reason is just the instability and the inconsistency and the, the lack of respect that these auto companies have for their workers and their willingness to violate the flimsy rules that they have laid down for themselves as it relates to, you know, mandatory overtime and, um, and, and then the implementation of multi-tier employment and compensation packages. All of this has really, you know, in the past, there was, there was more of an understanding by Southern auto workers that this is a good job. I've got it pretty good. I don't want to rock the boat, you know, and, and, and everything is good. And I just want it to stay the way it is. And it hasn't stayed the way that it, it it hasn't stayed that way. The auto industry in the South, uh, just like we talked about in Alabama, the trend is, is, is region wide. The auto industry has precipitously declined. Uh, as it relates to working conditions for auto workers, and so um, you know that is m- making the ground all the more fertile for organization, and these companies have no one to blame but themselves uh, for their uh, uh, for what's coming. So um, really excited to uh, see some videos from that uh, from that rally once they come out. I'm sure that it's going to be great. Uh, also, n- new updates in Alabama. Hyundai workers have held a they held a rally on MLK Day, uh, talking about unionization, uh, answering questions. They had UAW folks there answering questions. They had uh, Hyundai workers there answering questions about why they want to uh, be uh, th- why they want to unionize. And so that is their first, you know, public foray uh, with their union campaign. That's a very big step. I, I don't think they've hit 30 percent card signed, but they have gone ahead and, you know, they're, they're being public with their organizing campaign. And, uh, and and then in Mercedes, you know, we hit they hit 30 percent card signed a while back and uh, Governor Ivy immediately came out attacking them, saying that they are, you know, they're either the implication is they are either out of state interests or they are so stupid as to be, um, you know, being controlled by out of state interests. And they don't know what's best for them. Right. Because they have, as Kay Ivey says, uh, high paid and they're 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 highly paid and highly skilled. So why do they need organization? Right. And so uh, the workers uh, that are part of that campaign have not taken that lying down. Uh, they released a video where uh, multiple, uh, a lot of them talk about how this is a really a worker-led organizing campaign. And from going down to Tuscaloosa myself and talking to these folks, that by all indications, that does seem to be the case. I went into the UAW office that's down there. I didn't see any UAW staff. I saw a lot of Mercedes workers <laughs> that are there uh, talking about the campaign and, and um, talking about how they are operating the campaign and why they want to be part of the campaign. Um, so it's, um, you know, obviously not, you know, out of state special interests. Uh, they are not out of state special interests and they're not being uh, manipulated by out of state special interests. These are Alabama workers uh, organizing uh, collectively for, uh, you know, uh, for their own gain and for the gain of, of their uh, fellow workers and their community and their family. Um, and, 
what's interesting is that a lot of the um the organizing the out front stuff is being done by people who remember you know quote unquote the good old days right uh of the uh of the people that i talked to like 75 percent of them had been there for more than 20 years at this mercedes plant and then the rest of them had been there for over 10 years right and so they're wanting to be more out front because, uh, uh, you know, they're more kind of secure in their employment than some people who have been there uh, for less time. And uh, they want to extend the benefits and the wages and everything that they have to the rest of the people in the plant. And then they also want to bring their compensation packages uh, up to par with, uh, you know, what the UAW has across the country, um, because there's no reason for them to be doing the same work and getting you know, uh, uh, ten, tens of thousands of dollars less in total compensation. Uh, it's absolutely unjust and, um, uh, and, and, and unnecessary because the money is there, right? As if you take a look at any of the profits of any of these companies, uh, they're all in record profit mode. And amid these record profits, particularly galling at Mercedes, I think, is amid these record profits is when they instituted their second tier of employment. And so that you know made people all the more angry that this is the time that you're choosing to do this. You're making more money than you ever have. And now you're choosing to pay people 20 percent less for no reason. Right. Um, so so really looking forward to continuing to hear <laughs> updates and give them to y'all. I would recommend checking out Jeremy K Kimbrell's uh, article in Labor Notes. We threw out the old playbook, The New Union Drive at Mercedes. It's in labornotes.org. Um, it's a really good article about how they are going about organizing um, and how, you know, the effort is worker led, how it's not staff driven and um, some of the some of the tactics that they're using. So a uh, very interesting article and uh, could be instructive for people that are in similar situations. Yeah, I wanted to jump in here real quick to echo that. I really recommend that article. Uh, lots of good organizing advice. I think what you encountered in your interviews last weekend, what we're seeing is is definitely a different approach than what has not worked in the past with some of these organizing campaigns in the South. Um, and I also wanted to point out that it it's very appropriate that the workers were rallying on MLK Day mm. uh, because, you know, there are a lot of disparities in this auto industry, right? And something we didn't touch on with Dev, but is mentioned in the report, is that black auto workers in Alabama on average received 83 cents for every dollar that a white auto worker received in 2019. It was worse for Hispanic workers, 78 cents per dollar, and even worse for women uh, who earned just 73 cents for every dollar that men earned. Uh, and keep in mind again that, you know, Alabama auto workers pay is below that of other states and it is below that of what it used to be. Right. So it's just, um, you know, continued disparities, continued decline. And it's no surprise that workers are interested in organizing. And I think there's a lot of reasons behind that, as you alluded to. And and some of it, I think, is there is a general militancy among working people coming out of the pandemic that, you know, we haven't seen in some time. And I think the the bold leadership in UAW uh, and the renewed Democratic leadership inside the union. I think that is definitely bolstering these efforts. Um, and I think sometimes momentum, right? right? Getting wins, 
just getting seeing wins, just like we saw with Starbucks, right? Once a few Starbucks started doing it, it caught on like wildfire. And now we're at hundreds of stores. Uh, once the UAW pulled off their stand-up strike and and won significant gains in these contracts with the big three, I think it gave a lot of juice to people. It gave energy, right? And, and that momentum, it's hard to quantify, but I think it's really important when it comes to organizing. Absolutely. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go ahead and head to a break. We're going to be right back, and we have a, an absolutely galling clip from a Louisiana sheriff that is kind of instructive to Alabama's prison labor situation. Uh, and then we're going to talk about boss watch and, and maybe some other stuff if we've got time. Uh, don't go anywhere, folks. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower-than-average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. 
Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. As labor union members, we face our share of challenges in the workplace. But today, I want to talk about a different kind of challenge, the climate crisis. We've all seen the fury of Mother Nature, the storms that can turn lives upside down in an instant. That's why Hometown Action is launching our Climate Protection Project. We're heading out to 10 rural communities, listening to local folks, and taking action with them to protect communities impacted by climate disasters. And we need you, our union brothers and sisters, to join us. Together, we'll make a difference. Our strength on the job is undeniable, and now it's time to put that strength to work for the planet. Let's protect our communities, our families, and our future. Visit hometownaction.org today and sign up to volunteer for the Climate Protection Campus. Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller. Folks, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. All right. Okay. Uh, We have uh, over 30 people watching us on YouTube and only 28 likes. If you could and if you haven't, please like the stream, subscribe to the channel. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat we have steve from atlanta the stagehands union local 600 been checking out the show lately and it's been great appreciate your listening uh definitely means a lot uh mark uh good morning that dude tank uaw local 2250 uh saying that he's on mandatory six days this week here in gm wentzville sorry to hear that that's no fun no fun at all um, infinite content uh, uh, responding to the wave wage differential between Alabama auto workers and other auto workers, um, talking about how that can be easily over half a million dollars in a lifetime of of auto industry work, and indeed that is the case. Um, Eric uh, says if Alabama n- uh, new football uh, if Alabama's new football coach needs a contract. Mercedes workers need a contract. Indeed, that's a good point. Stidham Family Gospel says it's absolutely a benefit in the UAW. We have our own full-time safety personnel on the floor all day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there is no doubt that that makes a huge difference in uh, you know the safety uh, on these workplaces. Stidham Family Gospel elaborates mandatory overtime and vacation time abuse can uh, absolutely be regulated with CWA. Yeah. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, Dev points out that that video 
um, where the Mercedes auto workers responded to Kay Ivey was chock full of Southern accents. Indeed, indeed. And I actually was able to talk to basically everyone in that video, and they all told me how they all grew up either you know, right around there in Alabama or uh, somewhere else in the South. I didn't talk to not one single Yankee, okay? <laughs> all right. Not nary a one of them. So, Adam, uh, we've got this clip from a Louisiana sheriff that is really uh, pretty wild, you know, kind of uh, the saying the quiet part out loud kind of stuff. Um, can you remind us... Uh, uh, um, just give us a quick overview of the prison labor lawsuit uh, that is underway right now in Alabama. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, last month, a bombshell lawsuit was filed involving current and former incarcerated workers alongside a civil rights nonprofit and a couple labor unions, uh, the Union of Southern Service Workers, as well as the RWDSU Mid-South Council. Uh, which that's important, you know, that kind of coalition coming together. Uh, but the lawsuit is regarding what they are alleging is modern day convict lease labor in our prison systems. It's worth noting that Alabama has one of the highest incarceration rates in the country, uh, which means we lock up more people inside of our borders than almost anywhere on earth. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, Alabama's prison system is unconstitutional, according to the federal government. Literally every moment that it's in operation is a violation of the constitutional rights of the people inside. Uh, that is according to the Department of Justice. And so that's important context in understanding that thousands of inmates have been coerced into performing labor. Uh, and so you might imagine uh, working inside the prisons, right? And that is happening. Uh, in some cases, prisoners are actually doing the work of correctional officers, right, but being paid $2 per day. Uh, many of these workers are under that $2 per day pay rate, which was set back in 1927 and has not changed. Other workers were leased out to private industries, and we see uh, a variety of, of private employers, as well as public employers also involved in this. So some of the employers involved include fast food franchises like KFC and Wendy's and Burger King. Uh, there are uh, components of the auto supply chain, including a company named SL Alabama, which you may recall from our previous coverage, is the same company or one of the same companies in the Hyundai supply chain caught using migrant child labor. Uh, so this particular company was working incarcerated workers 11 to 12 hour shifts, six days a week. Uh, and the city of Montgomery, the city of Troy, uh, the Alabama Department of Transportation, a Budweiser distributor, uh, a several poultry plants, right? So there were quite a few. In fact, the lawsuit alleges over 500 employers ultimately have been involved in this scheme. And the state of Alabama uh, has profited some $350 million just in 2023 alone from the, the value created by this convict lease labor. Uh, again, as I said, it's coerced, it's forced. Uh, 
prisoners face uh, repercussions if they do not go to work, even if they're sick, even if they're very ill, uh, they face repercussions, right? And the, and the guards will actually tell them, you've got to go make our 40%. And the 40% cut is what ADOC, the Alabama Department of Corrections, takes off the top of the check before any taxes, before deductions, before child support, before restitution, they're taking 40% right off the top. Uh, and then they are fining and fees. There's fines and fees and, and charges for essential services that you require, such as the transportation to and from work. There's the coercion that you face because the alternative, if you say no to the work release or the work programs, is to get put back into higher security facilities, which, as I said, are unconstitutionally cruel and violent. Uh, and so you're you're faced with a deadly choice. Right. right. Go work yourself to the bone uh, for pennies on a dollar, making profits for someone, both the state and private capitalists. Or you say no and you're locked up potentially in solitary confinement or perhaps even worse with a, a violent inmate population uh, where, you know, various forms of assault and, and abuse are, are highly prevalent and common. Uh, a violent so this inmate is, population and a violent uh, corrections officer population. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the system itself is violent. Let me just clarify that. Um, and so we see reports of deaths coming out of the system on a regular basis, various forms of, of shocking abuse. Right. And so this is the choice that these incarcerated folks are given. Uh, and the lawsuit alleges that like I said, this is modern day convict leasing, which uh, if you're familiar with American history, you may recall that convict leasing really took off after the de decline of reconstruction in the South. Uh, and so from roughly 1875 or so until the 1920s, convict leasing was a major source of profit in the state of Alabama and in other places in the South. Um, and, and in fact, the labor movement uh, was instrumental in leading the fight against convict leasing. Uh, the United Mine Workers of America, UMWA, helped lead the fight to ban convict leasing here in Alabama in 1928, or at least so we thought. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and this is just one, and, and um, you know, we're, we're going to play this clip in just a second, but, you know, this the convict lease system is just one of the many ways that um, the prison system is detrimental not only to the people inside of it, but outside of it, because 95% of these people, 99% of them are going to come back out at some point. And so the question is, do you want them coming back out uh, better than they went in or worse than they went in? And almost uniformly, the people that go into our prisons are coming out worse in one way or another. And it is because of the decisions of our leaders uh, to do that, to make prison such a terrible place um, because, uh, you know, they have really a, a warped kind of system of morality, in my view. And also because of this, you know, the mass incarceration system makes it even difficult to, uh, uh, you know, adequately care for everybody in the prison system because we cage more people uh, than most states in this country, which cages more people than uh, almost any country in the world. And so, you know, to believe that that's a just system, right? I just want to underscore that to believe that it is just 
that we lock up so many people. You've got to believe that the American people are uniquely wicked and incapable of handling freedom. And so therefore we have to put up, uh, we have to lock up so many of our people. Otherwise, uh, we would not be able to maintain social order. Right. That's what it's a it's a fundamentally anti-American view, the view that mass incarceration is necessary. It's fundamentally anti-American. And, uh, you know, I have a different view of the American people. I don't believe that Ameri- that the American people are so uniquely broken that we have to lock up, uh, you know, so many more of our sisters and brothers than anywhere else in the world. Uh, but with, 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 right. with, and, with that and out of the quick. way. Yeah. I wanted to to real quick point out a couple of other things that I, that I've missed that are really worth highlighting with this and and provide a lot of important context to the clip you're going to play as well. Uh, one of which is that uh, the black population inside of the Alabama Department of Corrections is more than double the black population in the state of Alabama, right? So such a huge disproportionate disproportionate impact on. Uh, black men and women when it comes to mass incarceration here. And the other thing that is uh, involved in this lawsuit and is really, you know, just shocking to think about is that the lawsuit points out the decline in paroles that have been granted over the last few years. Uh, A shocking decline in paroles have been granted, particularly to black inmates. And what the lawsuit is connecting the dots there to say well, now we know why you're denying parole. It's because a lot of these people you're denying parole to are making you money, mm. right? And there is a perverse profit incentive to keep people locked up, even after you've determined that they pose no safety risk, right? They're, they are uh, safe enough to go out and work unsupervised alongside the general public and make you money at uh, a Hyundai supplier or at a fast food franchise, but not worthy of, of parole. And so that's why right. Attorney General Steve Marshall, Governor Kay Ivey, uh, you know, all of these folks are, are named in this lawsuit. They're being very quiet about this lawsuit, as you can imagine. Uh, but it is really an egregious, shocking thing that in the year 2024, uh, these sort of practices are being widely used. $350 million. I mean, that would be roughly 8% of Alabama's general fund budget. Just right. the general fund overall, not specifically the Alabama Department of Corrections budget. So we're talking a, a significant amount of money here that's being made by a lot of different entities uh, off the backs of incarcerated workers facing cruel, inhumane conditions. Right. And so the lawsuit basically connects by implication, you know, a potential reason for, uh, you know, the, 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 the declining parole rate. And, you know, the, the, they connect it by implication to the prison labor system. Um, but this this clip of a Louisiana sheriff from 2017, but it's kind of resurfaced and, and been uh, going around Twitter, especially in, uh, you know, Alabama circles, because it, it's it, it, it re- explicitly lays out this reasoning uh, in a different state. And this is almost certainly what people are saying behind closed doors in our state. Let's take a listen. I don't want uh, state prisoners, okay? They are a necessary evil to keep the doors open that we keep a few or keep some out there. And that's the ones that you can work. That's the ones that can pick up trash, the work release programs. But guess what? Those are the ones that they're releasing. They're releasing some good ones 
that we use every day to, to wash cars, to change oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money, well, they're going to let them out. The ones that we use in our work release program, they're going to let them out. And they're saying you can take a little worse criminal. It's been long said that we were the number one leader in the United States for incarcerating criminals in our criminal justice system. Well, let's face it, somebody got to be number one, and we got some bad dudes around here. Now, I'm as compassionate a fellow as you ever going to meet if somebody deserves it, if somebody works for it. Yeah, so there you go. And, and he ends that with what, exactly what I said. A, a fundamentally anti-American, in his case, anti-Louisianan worldview that, uh, you know, look, uh, the reason that we lock up more human beings than any state in the country in Louisiana, uh, in, in the country that locks up more human beings than anywhere else in the world, just because people in Louisiana are uniquely wicked and incapable of handling freedom. That's like, he just out and said it, right? Okay. So, so th that's part of that. He is a uniquely, he, he, he has a, a uniquely anti-American worldview, right? And then on top of that, he's talking about the, the, the prisoners as if it is an affront to him, whether they come or go, uh, <laughs> because, uh, because he expli he explicitly says part of my reason for wanting to keep these people here is because they're actually good workers, right? They can they are actually productive laborers and it saves me a lot of money to just have them do it for free instead of actually paying people, right? That's what he's saying explicitly, explicitly. Uh, and I don't see how you don't hear that and think, oh, wow, this is like slavery, <laughs> right? This is like slavery and it's bad. And we shouldn't do it. He should be impeached. He should probably go to jail. And, uh, you know, a lot of his people that are in his prison should be let go and should be given uh, reparations, frankly, right? <laughs> Having to deal with this guy. I mean, uh, you know, just uh, the, the, the warden of a wicked system. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a perverse incentive that if you're profiting off of someone's labor, of course you don't want to give that away. Right. Right. And, and and so it is uh, uniquely I agree with you. I, I think it is an anti-American, anti-freedom kind of perspective. And um, it absolutely, you know, there is a profit motive there. He's pointing to it. He says these are good workers. Otherwise, we might actually have to pay free world workers. Right. A living wage and benefits and respect their rights a little bit. Um, and so, like, for example, the city of Montgomery has saved $3 million in the use of convict lease labor that otherwise would be paid to city employees, people with rights, people with benefits, right? People who would pay taxes and spend their money at local businesses. Uh, and so there's such a cascading effect uh, to, you know, to bring it back to your point earlier, you know, most of us know someone impacted by the criminal justice system. It's hard not to in a place like Alabama. Uh, but even if you don't or, or you don't have a close connection, we're all impacted as members of the working class. We're all impacted as participants in the workforce, as participants in the economy, right? As taxpayers, we all are directly impacted by this practice. And, and we all have to unite to say that this can't happen 
with our dollars, with our resources in our name. Uh, and I applaud the Union of Southern Service Workers and RWDSU for taking a stand because this is a historic mission of labor, right? To battle this kind of mega exploitation, where there's the use of child labor, the exploitation of migrants, the exploitation of incarcerated workers. Um, it is our job as a labor movement to fight against that and to build a broad working class coalition to fight against it effectively. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens with this lawsuit. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the clip from the Louisiana Sheriff is very instructive of the kind of mindset that we're dealing with when it comes to the people profiting from the system. Uh, and what we've got to do is remove the profit incentive uh, to cage our, our neighbors. That's unacceptable. Boss Watch is a segment that we do every week where we take a look at what bosses were up to in the South in the last week, because every night on the news, you're going to see some uh, poor souls mugshot uh, for this or that uh, various uh, often, you know, not super consequential crime. And yet uh, bosses are also guilty of many similar things, but often much worse. And you never see them getting arrested. There are no criminal penalties when bosses do the exact same things that workers do. And so we want to highlight that and uh, do what we can to uh, write that kind of media narrative. We're not going to have time for every single one of these stories that I have uh, that, 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 um, Adam and I have compiled for this week, but I wanted to make sure to get to two. The first one in Mississippi uh, talks about the uh, the death of a child in a Mississippi poultry processing plant, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where a 16-year-old was killed at work. Um, this from the Department of Labor. For the second time in just over two years, a poultry processing plant in Hattiesburg has disregarded safety standards that have led to a worker's death, this time a 16-year-old sanitation worker who was pulled into a machine, federal safety investigators found. The U.S. Department of Labor's uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration found that on July 14th, a contract worker employed by Onan Staffing was performing a deep clean of the deboning area at the Marjack Poultry Mississippi plant while sanitizing the still-energized machine. The teen was caught in the rotating shaft and sprockets, in, uh, and sprockets and pulled in, sustaining fatal injuries. Investigators found that despite a manager's supervision in and around the area prior to and during the fatal incident, lockout-tagout procedures were not utilized to disconnect power to the machine, and a lockout-tagout device was not used to prevent the machine from unintentionally starting during the cleaning. OSHA cited Marjack Poultry with 14 serious and three other than serious violations after finding the company failed to ensure control procedures. Energy control procedures were used to prevent the unexpected startup of machines while employed uh, employees perform sanitation, exposing workers to uh, caught-in hazards. They failed to ensure... Uh, employees used lockout tagout devices. They failed to ensure an energy control control procedure. Um, they failed to ensure that the machinery retained guarding. Uh, they didn't cover open holes in electrical cabinets, and they did not prevent workers from using portable ladders incorrectly to gain access to elevated workspaces. So for all of that, OSHA proposed $212,000 in penalties and... Um, just for background, the agency previously found that Marjack Poultry uh, violated federal safety law when an employee's shirt was caught in a machine and they were pulled in, pinning their body against the support and the machine's carousel, resulting in fatal injuries. In addition to OSHA's investigation, the department's Wage and Hour Division has opened a 
a child labor investigation and the matter is currently pending and you know people at the alabama policy institute see stories like that and they think oh the problem with this is that it's not legal for children to work in poultry plants and that's what they have been saying explicitly in their new priority sheet uh their new priority document for the alabama legislature in 2024 explicitly they want to follow the trend of loosening child labor laws as we continue to see stories like this across the country where children are put in harm's way and in, and sometimes killed to make some freak a profit. In Alabama, the U.S. Department of Labor has recovered $127,000 in back wages and liquidated damages for 22 workers at an aviation maintenance shop employed uh, by a dothing staff and staffing company that misclassified them as independent contractors and denied them overtime wages. Investigators found that uh, Lucero Aerospace Staffing Solutions paid workers straight time rates for all hours worked and failed to pay the additional half time rate required for hours over 40 in a work week. In addition, the employer failed to pay one worker at least the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Absolutely crazy stuff. So uh, that's going to be it for us today on the radio, folks. We're going to be continuing the show for another hour and a half online only. Find us on YouTube and Facebook at The Valley Labor Report. We are talking to a representative from the teachers union in Las Vegas about a new contract that they got and a new campaign that they are embarking on. We're going to be reacting to some other stuff in the second half of the show. So find us online and keep watching. Uh, But Adam, you had a couple of plugs that you want to make sure we got to yeah uh real quick uh labornotes.org slash events check out the trainings they have this month online uh the madison county legislative forum is going to be monday night that's the 22nd 6 30 to 8 30 all the state reps and senators will be there uh show up at the huntsville city council chambers you can uh, sign up to speak uh by six o'clock you can speak for three minutes uh, hit me up if you're a union member and you want to show up and say something. Uh, the North Alabama Labor Council is having its meeting Tuesday night at six o'clock in Madison. Uh, I am doing a regional issue preview on Zoom with Alabama Rise on the 24th at 12 o'clock, talking about 2024 issue priorities. You can email me at adam at alarise.org. Uh, also, email me if you're interested in coming to my advocacy training on January 29th at the downtown Huntsville Library from 5.30 to 7. Uh, if you think that Alabama could be better, should be better, and you want to know how to get involved, this training is for you. Uh, and let's see, I was on America's Workforce back on the 15th, uh, really enjoyed that. And Jacob and I were on the Real News Network yesterday recording an interview uh, so we'll definitely keep you posted on when that drops. Uh, and if you are on a college campus and you're interested in a labor event, hit us up. All right, folks. See you in overtime.